0: All right, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew, and you may want to turn to Numbers. We may get to Numbers, but it may take us a long time to get there. We will see. Just go to Matthew probably 3 and Numbers 12. Matthew 3. Matthew chapter 3, we'll start in verse 1 for context sake, Matthew chapter 3, you can say amen when you're there, All right, I will wait, All right, everybody be Good? All right, Matthew chapter three, we start in verse one for context. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins and his meat was locusts and wild honey. They went out to him, then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan, and were, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance." Right? Now, if you look at verse 7, John the Baptist has some things to say to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees, does he not? In fact, not only does he have something to say to them, he calls them a descriptive name, right? What does he refer to them as? A generation of vipers, or we can just say vipers, right? He refers to them as snakes. And I think we could all agree that if you're going to call them a generation of vipers or call them snakes, that's probably not a very positive thing. Can we agree? In fact, we may say that it's a very critical thing, possibly. Yes? All right. Go to Matthew, I believe, 23. Matthew chapter 23. All right, we'll just jump down, and we could start reading the entire chapter, but just so that we have a context, Matthew 23, verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to the disciples. So he's speaking to the multitude and to the disciples, and what is the subject of his discourse? Saying the scribes and the Pharisees. He's talking about these other individuals, right? If you go all the way down to verse 16, or if you go to verse 14 he says it a number of times right but we'll go to 13 but woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites verse 14 woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites verse 15 woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites verse 16 woe unto you ye blind guides all right i think you could say he goes on to call them a number of things look at verse 17 ye fools, all right, do what, yeah, yeah, verse 19, you fools and blind, he puts the two together, okay, verse 23, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, verse 24, ye blind guides, verse 25, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, um, thou blind Pharisees. one do you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites? And then, uh, then, not only does he call them these names, he says a lot about what they do, and he sa- and everything he says here, can we be, I, I think it would be fair. Is it all negative? Yes. Is it very critical? Yes. I, I, I think, when we say that he's being extremely critical, right, go to Jude. go to Jude All right if you go to Jude look what he I mean it may not be as strong but it's pretty strong okay uh, look what he says at Jude of course there's no real chapter but verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the Lord, the only Lord God, our our Lord Jesus Christ, right? I, I would think he's saying some pretty negative things about them, right? Then he goes on to say, uh, he, he, he talk, look at verse 8. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers, right? Uh, look at verse 11. Woe unto them, they have gone in the air of Cain, ran greedily after the air of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsay of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity. All negative things, yes? Could you say he's being critical? Yeah, all of these are examples of being critical. Now, if we were to look up the definition of the word critical, we would, we would uh, see some of the following definitions, all right? Here's from Merriam-Webster, all right? Critical, inclined to criticize severely and unfavorably, consisting of involving criticism, exercising or involving careful judgment or judicious evaluation. all right? Um, It can be, and then there's some others here, but those are kind of the basic ones, inclined to criticize. So on one hand, I think we can agree, those are biblical examples of what? Criticism. Those are biblical examples of criticism. Now, let me put the word criticism or the word critical, and let me connect it with a different word, all right? Critical spirit. critical spirit. There are There's plenty of literature within the world of Christianity who condemns what we would call a critical spirit. You should not have a critical spirit. In fact, a critical spirit is seen as being sinful. So what is the distinguishing line between being critical in a biblical way and crossing over to having a critical spirit and is a critical spirit actually sinful? Okay, do what? Well, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll work on this and see if we can define it, all right? So, But right now, I'm just going to put hypothetically, if a critical spirit is sinful, obviously we're going to have to define what it is, right? But clearly, biblical criticism seems justified. So where is that... Where is that line in the sand? Who gets to decide? Who who gets to say? All right, um, let me uh, read just from an article, all right, that's called Avoiding a Critical Spirit. There are many things most of us wouldn't dream of doing. For example, I would never consider committing murder. That's just not a struggle for me. But a critical spirit, that's a struggle, and from my observation, Many others battle with this as well. Now, immediately, they're obviously describing a critical spirit as being something that is sinful. One of the challenging aspects of carrying a critical heart is that we can feel justified in our attitude. Criticism often arises from feeling we are right where others are wrong and our world affords us plenty of opportunities to encounter people we disagree with, sometimes it doesn't even feel at all that sinful. So this is putting forth the idea that a critical spirit is actually wrong. So what is the distinguishing mark? So let's do this before we even move any further, and I'll read some more from this article in a second. Let's do this. If you were to define a critical spirit, if you were to write out a definition of a critical spirit, what would that be? If I just said, hey, guys, I'm going to go to the back of the church. I'll give you 10 minutes. Work together. Y'all can talk together if you want. Idea for me is unwarranted criticism. Unwarranted criticism. So a critical spirit is one that has unwarranted criticism. Now, who gets to determine when it's warranted? <laughs> okay, no, but but at least you're trying to you're trying to put a parameter around it. You're trying to do something, right? Because we all kind of we just saw three examples in Bible of the some pretty crit, <laughs> severe criticism, right? I mean, because look, it's one thing for John the Baptist to look at the, the Pharisees and go, "You're wrong." It's another thing to say, you're snakes, right? It's one thing for Jesus to say, you're guilty of hypocrisy. It's another thing to say, you're blind and you're a fool. Do you see the distinction? right? I can, say, I can tell someone they're wrong. But when, when does it become right to... Uh, even Jew, did he not use very descriptive terms to describe them? At what point... Uh, Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians, did he not use some pretty descriptive terms? He didn't just say, hey, guys, you're having problems spiritually. You're carnal. You're fleshly. You're babies. Right? Like, how far can you take it? Uh, you foolish Galatians. Right? Like, I mean, I mean I can't, we can go through the Bible and find this kind of stuff constantly. Right? It's all over the place. So the the problem is, everyone seems to acknowledge, at least there's a lot of literature in Christianity that says the critical spirit is wrong. But I got scripture after scripture after scripture of people being not just critical, they're calling people names. Did, Did you have a definition? Okay, all right, so let's try to put the two together, all right? So uh, bo- I think both, both of you tried to, I think you're trying to draw a distinction between criticism and a critical spirit. So one stated a critical spirit is unwarranted criticism, and then you're saying that a critical spirit would be, would it be unwarranted criticism, or are you just going around looking to be, for something to be critical about? It's an attitude, Okay. So, we can say an unwarranted criticism, would that be would you agree that that's part of a critical spirit? Is that it's unwarranted? Okay. So, we'll say an unwarranted criticism that arises from a wrong attitude. All right? Oh, what, what any do we have anything else? Come on, think, think, think. Let's try to try to structure something. Well, by the time we're done, we may throw it completely out, but at least we can give it a shot, right? At least we can give it a shot. Nothing else? Okay, well, I'll, just, I'll read the next paragraph here. <laughs> Wisdom can be found in recognizing the heart underneath our criticism. A critical attitude will often reveal an area of our lives where God wants to meet us and transform us. We're going to look at a story in Scripture where some of our best heroes in the Bible demonstrated a critical spirit. We're going to see how the Lord responded as we do, uh, responded as we do. We'll see ways God wants to work in our lives as well. All right. Then it has avoiding a critical spirit. And the picture is funny because it's a little girl. <laughs> hey, She's looking in front of the broccoli. And I, I have a feeling that she doesn't look too happy about the broccoli, does she? Okay. All right. Whatever it may be, right? It, she doesn't look happy. All right. Now, the point is: is that a good illustration of a critical spirit? Is, that, is he like to me? That just looks like if you don't like it, you don't like it. Does that make me critical? Like, if you bring me a plate of brownies, I'm gonna be, Ugh. first if I even smell them, I'm gonna be like, that's, we've gotta get out of the place. We gotta burn the house down, right? If I, like, I, like, if I have a TV dinner and there's a brownie in it, I'm cutting the thing out because if I even smell the brownie, it's, it's disgusting, right? I don't wanna smell. Does that make me critical? I guess you could say I'm being critical of a brownie, but is that a critical spirit? Is that a wrong kind of criticism? When is it wrong? So I don't know. unnecessary okay yeah right so like i don't know if that's like a is that is that a negative now some some people see like how unappreciative she is there's kids starving in africa she should eat that right so i but i i don't know if that makes you critical so i i I don't know um I don't know. Let me, let me read, uh, the, the next part. All right. Um, cause I, I don't want to give too much away here, but we'll, we'll see. All right. It says, it was over 20 years ago, but I still remember the email. We had announced a difficult minister, ministry dist- decision for the church. And though I imagine some might not be happy, I wasn't prepared for what I received. A long, very long email from a church member full of words that would shift a film from PG-13 straight into R it was full of unbridled fury even calling my questions even calling into question my credentials as a pastor all right lots of pastors can tell those stories right because people are critical people are critical they don't like you doing this they don't want this they don't like this they don't want this they don't want this you do this too long you don't do this long enough and you're like okay Now, everyone who does that, everyone who ever has a criticism, they criticize the way you teach, how you teach, how long you teach, and what you teach. Every person who does it, they would not believe it's unwarranted. Not only would they believe it's warranted, they would believe they not only have the authority to do so, the right to do so, and that they're right and the pastor is wrong. And it doesn't really matter educational who has more education? It doesn't even matter who's done more study. Now, is that a critical spirit? If you say it's a critical spirit, now, this is where it's dangerous because a pastor could utilize this to always insulate himself and protect himself, right? How di- You've got a critical spirit. You're in sin. Now, that'd be, that'd be, that'd be like the go-to, right? You've got a critical spirit. So a pastor can manipulate this to their own benefit, right? Hey, you're in sin. So maybe before worrying about me, you worry about your own sin, right? But I'm probably not going to go well. Probably still going to get mad at you. So it really is not going to accomplish anything. Best thing to do, let them be critical and just go. Because if you do anything to try to keep, you're just prolonging the inevitable, right? That's my, that's at least my theory. But... um. I still like not so far, so far, they've not done anything to define what a critical spirit is, have they? Nobody's really defined it. But they do give us a a biblical passage to look at, supposedly as an example, right? Go to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12, all right, Numbers 12, well, everybody got a Bible dictionary nearby? Just have one nearby, we'll just look up some uh, words here, all right, you ready? First we have two names, Miriam and Aaron, so look up Miriam really quick, look up Miriam, If you need a dictionary, I can get you one. Okay. What page? Uh, Page 848. There's the entry for Miriam. Tell me when everyone is there. Okay. Yeah, we'll look him up in in a minute. He'll probably should be like the first entry on most dictionaries. Like it's pretty close to the first one. All right, Miriam, uh, what, what do we say, see about Miriam? Just basic information about Miriam. The of Aaron and Moses. Uh, okay, so she's the sister of Aaron and Moses. Okay, next. Anything else about her? About Miriam, the okay, she's a prophetess. All right, now, meaning she has some kind of religious and, and maybe instruction. She has some kind of, uh, you could possibly say, some form of maybe a spiritual leader in, to some capacity, right? So she's Moses' sister, Aaron's sister, and she's a prophetess, right? If you look up Aaron, what do we learn about Aaron? Obviously, we know he's related to Miriam and he's related to Moses, right? Okay. What else do we know about Aaron? He's a high priest. Does it speak of his relationship to Moses. Okay, brother of Moses, all right? So we have a family situation here, do we not? All right, we have a family situation. We have Miriam and Aaron, and they spake against Moses. They spake against Moses. Now, immediately, we have to ask ourselves, is it a critical spirit to speak against someone? Well, I don't think we could say it's always a critical spirit to speak against one or anyone, right? Did John the Baptist speak against the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Yes. Did Jesus speak against the Pharisees? Yes. Did Jude speak against the people who crept into the church? Yes. Did Paul speak against the Corinthians? Yeah. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on. The Galatians, I mean, it, it happens throughout the Bible, right? So... The fact that they speak against, I don't know if this is an example of a critical spirit, but let's see what happens. Did you have something? Okay. Okay, right. All right. All right maybe. Maybe. Well, we'll see if we can go with that. Okay, because you could argue. Well, see, well, it would work in Jesus' case because he's the son of God. It could possibly work in Paul's case that he could criticize the church. John the Baptist would be the one kind of weird because the Pharisees and Sadducees, at least in that setting, would have had more authority. But then he's a prophet, so then, but like, but just because someone walks up and claims they're a prophet, like, I mean, like that, that leads to all kinds of problems. But I do like at least trying to structure it, like, is a critical spirit that which demonstrates an unwarranted criticism towards someone in authority, right? Like, then, Right. The members, they have the authority. They have the authority. Mm-hmm. And they can speak, you know, names against. You know, okay, they can speak that way. Right. Okay, right. Okay. That was kind of the authority. Okay, got you. The way you're, you're looking at kind of the reverse way, right? I was looking at it is it a critical spirit to speak against authority? But you're saying the authority may be the one who has the ability to offer said criticism. Yep. All right? That There, there could be. There could possibly be some ways to work that, but let's see exactly what happens here and see if we get any idea here. All right. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Mo- Moses. I'm going to start coughing. Yeah, back to Numbers 12, verse one. But, uh, how does the does the NIV say against? Against. Okay. I was hoping <clears throat> maybe we would get. Some other term. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, the text doesn't explain why maybe they're upset here, right? I will read here in a minute to see if this offers us any insight, but the point is, is the text, put it this way, the text doesn't offer us why this would possibly bother them, right? Right? The text doesn't possibly offer a reason why. Now, we, we, can, we can do a lot of speculating, right? Okay, why? 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 Are, why? M- maybe, maybe his previous wife passed away, and now he's marrying another woman. We, we, we could we speculate all day. The point is, they clearly don't like it. And they speak against him for it. Now, here's the question. All he's posed this question: Is there a problem with Moses, really, that he married the Ethiopian woman? Or are they only using the Ethiopian woman to add to what their real complaint is? Well, there's there's some speculation on if this is a different woman. There's there's some speculation. We we could we could spend thirty minutes going into all the speculation. I didn't feel like well, it may be more clear if we really dug into it, but I'm just saying the text doesn't explain, it doesn't give us an explanation to why, right? So everything we would have to do is do a lot of speculating to why they were upset. But you can see why it could possibly, on one hand, it could be very important because if we can figure out why they're upset about it, then we could ask the question, is it a legitimate reason to be upset? I'm, I'm putting forth a hypothesis that I don't think that They were really upset about that. I think they were upset about something else. That's my speculation. Right. The, this, this is my hypothesis. In other words, I think that this is just, well, I'll, I'll explain how it works in a minute. All right. And so verse 2, and they said, and they look at what they said. And they said, hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now, immediately when you look at verse 2, it seems to me they're getting to the heart of the issue. Right? And what would be the heart of the issue at this point? Well, authority, right? Leadership, right? It's almost like someone has gotten tired of who being in charge. Moses so if you can make the argument well wait 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 God doesn't does God only speak to him if she's a prophetess she can claim that God speaks to her as well correct therefore she can claim wait a minute why do I need to listen to him so maybe and I just want you to understand this this is important sometimes I can't speak in every well, I think you probably we all know this right If you're frustrated, upset, becoming very critical at someone, right? Your real issue may be the letter D, right? That's your real issue. But to to strengthen your argument, you're going to add A, B, C to it. But you don't really care about A, B, C. You're only throwing in A, B, C to strengthen your argument against the person because you're really upset about D, Does that make sense? Like, do they really care that he married an Ethiopian woman? I don't know. But to me, I know what the real issue is. They don't want to listen to whom? They don't want to listen to Moses. They don't want to follow who? Moses, right? That's the issue. So they've become critical of what? Maybe his personality. Maybe they've become critical of his... (laughs) Supposed leadership, in other words, blaming him instead of blaming God. God's the one actually doing the leading. But they begin to blame him. Now, what you, let's be honest. Once you become critical of someone, what is it easy to do? You find You'll find something wrong with everything they do. Every sermon will become wrong everything like it won't be like hey i was ticked off that he preached this now every sermon is a problem it's just a downward spiral right it's just a downward spiral of negativity a downward spiral of criticism and then at that point maybe then we're getting to the real issue a critical spirit maybe maybe you have a legitimate criticism but a critical spirit because Stephen started it unwarranted it just then begins to just find everything wrong and be critical of everything, even though it's not warranted. And in many cases, it won't be honest with what the real criticism is about. Is that fair? Maybe? Possibly? All right, Let's, I'm going to go back and read everything they have to say here, all right? They say a grumbling and critical spirit Was an all too familiar mark of the Israelites through their journey in the desert. Can we agree on that? We know they complained. We know they grumbled. They add the word critical spirit. So, would we connect grumbling and complaining to a critical spirit? I would say, how does a critical spirit manifest itself? grumbling and complaining right would you agree right grumbling and complaining is the is the is the symptom the disease is a critical spirit would that be fair right you grumble you complain about everything grumble complain crumble complain Grumble, complain because now you've gotten a critical spirit and and at some point i think you have to acknowledge the criticism goes from maybe warranted to unwarranted now you. Now at the same time, to be fair, well, how do we how do we view the grumbling and complaining of Israel, and the wilderness? We we sin, but is, is it was it always like I, I struggle here? Was it always unwarranted? In other words, when you're led into a place where there's no food or water, I don't know if that's how unwarranted that is, right? Now, you could, but at the one who led them, so then is it unwarranted? Well, when the grumbling and complaining turns that they almost want to stone, your leader, kill your leader. Okay, maybe that's gone it. Because remember, at one point they wanted to kill, they wanted to stone people, like, and they want a full-blown rebellion against God, right? Maybe, maybe when uh, the gr- when the grumbling and complaining, like, because there's one thing to say. I, right, I, like, there, I think I think we all know that there's a. I think this is the problem. There's there's always a line here, and it's hard to know when you've crossed it, right? It's perfectly okay to say, hey, God, um, if we don't have food or water, we're going to die. We, would need, we need your provision. It's another thing to say, you brought us out here to kill us. Why are we out here? We're going to stone Moses and we're going back to Egypt. Well, now you've kind of gone from cross the line. So at that point, can we say, sometimes it's unwarranted. Someone said it's an, uh, an attitude, right? And don't you agree that there is a way in which it becomes, like, in other words, there's a clear way where you can voice a criticism or a complaint and then it just goes to your complaint and your criticism goes beyond what is accepted. Now, now again, this is very subjective, is it not? It's very subjective, Okay, right. <laughs> all of a sudden Stephen realized, wait a minute, what am I doing? What am I doing? My wife is sitting right next to me. Okay. I mean, in theory, theoretically, I read about it in a book one time that this happens in marriages. Okay, other people, okay. all of a sudden he I could just see on his face he was like, What am I doing? Okay, shut up, Stephen, shut up. Okay, what are you doing? But yes, there's always that level. Now the problem is the one doing the criticizing. Or the one quote of with the critical spirit. So in this case, we'll say it's Sarah, she probably could say like, uh, "I've asked you seventy five times. It started in nineteen sixty two. Like, I think at this point, I think it's fair for me to get a little upset. Is that fair? <laughs> All right. So, so, but the perspective. So I, I don't. Oh, I, I don't. I do agree. We're still trying to find the parameters. Let's see what they go on to say here. A grumbling and critical spirit was all too familiar mark of the Israelites through their journey in the desert. The people had an uncanny ability to find something to complain about. I say I don't know. In every situation they complained, there was something specific to complain about, right? Like There's no food. Now, I think when they started complaining about the manna, now they're really just getting ridiculous, right? Because they're being given food. Uh, And their griping was often aimed at their leader No question about that In Numbers 12 Well actually to be fair it wasn't aimed at their leader Because their leader was God But okay So to be fair it's unwarranted Because Moses wasn't the one doing the leading So in that case it was unwarranted In Numbers 12 We discovered that their attitude towards Moses Was also shared by two of their leaders Miriam and Aaron Miriam is listed first Indicating that she was likely the one Leading out in this criticism Okay, Moses' older siblings were critical of their brother because of his, of his marriage to a Cushite woman. It is not clear whether this is referring to Zipporah, the daughter of Jethro in Exodus 3, 2.21, or someone Moses married after Zipporah died. Being a Cushite could mean she was from the land of modern-day Ethiopia, but Cush was sometimes associated with Midian, the land where Zipporah, Zipporah was from. Whoever she was, we know for certain that Miriam and Aaron looked down on Moses because of this marriage. Her ethnic difference; she was also she was not an Israelite. Surely played in Miriam and Aaron's criticism. All right, say I again. I don't. I just. I don't think it was the issue. Now they're going to listen to what they say. Moses' marriage was only a smokescreen. Numbers 12.2 reveals that their scorn was driven by a deeper motivation. Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? Perhaps Miriam and Aaron were envious of Moses' stature as Israel's recognized leader. Maybe they felt slighted and not given enough credit for their own accomplishments. Whatever the reason... Their critical spirit towards Moses was fueled by comparing themselves to their younger brother. All right. Now, um, there, there's a lot. Well, let's just read a, at least the rest of the story so we get a basic idea of what happens here. Um, we, we learn a little bit about Moses in verse 3. Now, the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Why do you think that's included there in, in Numbers twelve three? It's kind of a parenthetical statement, is it not? I think maybe it's trying to indicate that their uh, criticism was unwarranted. Their criticism was unwarranted. Because if he's so meek, then then clearly he wasn't probably exalting his leadership over them. He probably was not preventing them from doing the different things that they were allowed to do. So I think it's trying to show that yeah, He wasn't throwing in their faces, look at me, I'm Moses, who are you? Like, I, I think that that seems to indicate he wasn't. Verse 4, and the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation, and they and they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. I think it's kind of funny that he comes down in the pillar of the cloud. Because isn't that how he's been leading them? So is he not, isn't in a roundabout way showing them who's really in charge? Like you're, you're criticizing Moses, but it, who's been leading you? The cloud, right? And the cloud been leading them? When the cloud moved, they moved, right? Um, and he said, hear now my words, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even, apparent, uh, uh, even apparently, not in dark speeches, and similitude of the Lord, uh, and, simil- and the similitude of the Lord shall behold. Wherefore, then, were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Now, what he tries to do here is show a distinction, right? You may be a prophetess, but I speak to prophets or prophetesses, if we want to say that. And what? A certain way. But he has spoken to Moses in a unique way. Not in a dark vision, but as it says, mouth to mouth in the King James. What is that NIV? Face to face. Yeah, not in riddles. He spoke clearly and plainly to Moses. And then he basically asked the question, why were you not afraid? than this speak against Moses. Like, why, why, why were you guys... Not, like? In other words, you did not respect authority, you did not respect a position in any way, shape, or form. And then what else continues here? Uh, let's see, what, what verse did we just stop? Uh, we verse 8, all right. Verse 9, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed... And the cloud uh, departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, uh, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, for whom the flesh is half consumed, when he when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, if her father had put spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that, let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and and people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. All right, so... Clearly, their criticism was wrong, and they were condemned for it. Obviously, she received the greatest condemnation because clearly she was the leader. She was the ringleader in all of it. Now, I, I don't I, look. There's a lot we could do with the passage, but I'm trying to follow this concept of a critical spirit. So, I looked for a different article on a critical spirit, and this is what. They put forth here, if I can find it. All right? This is what they say. Criticism is the act of judging unfavorably or fault-finding. It is often appropriate to judge a person, thing, or action unfavorably. In fact, a true friend will speak the truth even when it's hard to hear. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Jesus was critical of the Pharisees' hypocrisy. He expressed his disapproval forcibly on several occasions. However, Jesus' criticism was always truthful and ultimately loving. Since God loves people and wants the best for them, he points out faults, shortcomings, and sins. The Bible gives several examples of criticism, and we've already looked at some, so I'm not going to look at the ones they give. They give different ones than the ones we looked at because there's Page after page after page after page of this, right? So, this is what they say: the Bible gives even more specifics on how to ensure that our criticism is edifying, right? So they're, they're going to say we've got there's some things we need to do. Like we know criticism is right. Everyone seems to be concerned that we can cross the line to go to a wrong kind of criticism. Nobody can really articulate exactly where it is, so they try to offer some guidelines. Here's their guidelines. Guideline number one, ground criticism in love. They quote Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. Well, they're just saying this is how to criticize correctly. Ground it in love. Okay, do what? I I don't know. See, that's a hard, like, I know. I mean, that was judgment there. Straight up. I guess they would say because God is love, therefore, everything God does, love is a factor in it somewhere. But so, I guess I could see the way around that. But once again, it's very subjective because everyone who criticizes would claim. That they're doing it in love, right? I mean, a person would, could, could rip a person in distress. Or, well, I should say Christians will do that. They could rip a person in distress and say, it's only because I love the truth, I love God, and I love them. And it's like, well, yeah, okay, maybe, <laughs> maybe. They say this. Criticism, or love, should be the primary guide in criticism. Godly cri- criticism is true and loving. It comes from a humble, caring heart that wishes the best for the other person. It is not bitter, condescending, insulting, or cold-hearted. Now, the only problem with that is some of those scriptures we look at were very insulting and very condescending. When you call people snakes, that's insulting and condescending. When When you look at the church and go, Hey, you're a bunch of babies. I can't even feed you solid food. I don't know that's kind of insulting do you like to be called a baby right now of course we can't hear the tone but I'm saying when you read 1 Corinthians 3 it sounds I don't know me I don't know if, I don't know if it, it, I, maybe I could say it in a tone that wouldn't offend anyone in the church but if I call you a bunch of babies you know what that's it no more no more preaching any doctrine I'm just gonna we're just going to start with I don't know we're just going to cover John three sixteen. I, I don't know. And I'm not going to go deep, right? Everybody, we well, get, get offended and mad. He's an arrogant jerk. Da, 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 and everybody would get mad. And then Stacy would drop at me all the way home. And everybody would be ticked off at me. Didn't Paul also say he was harder than of yeah. But at seven, I mean, right. Oh, but, but, but the point is, no matter how, I, I just don't think it's fair to say it can never be condescending. Because I got biblical examples of being condescending and clearly harsh. So, now I'm not, now it's easy though for me to run to the biblical examples of the criticism and go, well, see, I've got justification. If if it's good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me. Right? I can call you fools, I can call you children, I can call you, like, I can, you know, I mean, I got a lot of options when it comes to the Bible, what to pull from, right, okay, I got a lot of good, I got a lot of good terms I can use, so I don't know if you can say the words necessarily indicate, right, so I don't think that's a fair, accurate representation. You know, I I just, I just, I don't know, I, I, I just, I don't know about that. The second one. So here's what I would say: ground criticism and love. Here's what I would say: whenever you criticize, you ha- this, and this, nobody else can help you with this. Only you, only you have to check your own motivation. I, I can't speak for I can't speak for anybody's motivation, right? If I hear Sarah being critical of someone, I can't speak of your, I can't tell you what your motivation is. All I can say is you may want to check your motivation because sometimes, let's be honest, what's our motivation? Selfish, right? Sometimes it's because you want to be right, right? You're criticizing and you're being critical because you think you're right and you keep being critical because you are convinced you're right and you're going to keep tearing the other person down because until you win. Until you prove your point. You're not going to let it go. You're not going to let it go. So I, I would say that whenever we offer criticism, like for example, I, I, and, I, and I do believe this holds true to the main text, right? I do believe this is true in Numbers 12, Because what was their real motivation? I don't think their real motivation is, oh my goodness, look who he married. He didn't marry an Israelite. He married an Ethiopian woman. The issue is, who does he think he is? He's no more special than us. We hear from God. Because when God criticizes them, when God corrects them, what is his focus on his criticism, or on his correction? Look back at the text. Please note, he doesn't talk about marriage, does he? When he, when he corrects the situation, look what he says. Um, verse uh, 6, and he said, Hear now my words, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is, verse 7, Numbers 12, 7. Not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? He goes immediately to what? Moses is special. Moses is different than the normal prophet. He doesn't talk to them about the marriage situation. He doesn't talk to him about the wife. So clearly God knows what the real issue was. The real issue was never the wife. It was a complete smokescreen, right? So sometimes when we, I think when a what, what critical spirit is this, is when the criticism, I'm going to say this, a critical spirit is when we are criticizing it's motivated by our own arrogance, our own pride, and our own self centeredness. It's criticism that is driven by our arrogance, our pride, and our self centeredness. It's about us. Oh, uh. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is attitude. Yeah, this is, goes right to the motive. Uh, I'm going I'm to just say attitude. I'm going to go to the motivation behind it. The motiva- it's the motivation. And I always think that sometimes the motivation starts off good. Like, I think the motivation sometimes starts off right, but it is so quick that the motivation goes from right to it becomes personal, becomes arrogant, becomes prideful, self-centeredness. It's about being right. It's about proving your point. Right. For example, in a church. Right. I'll give you an example. Um, there are there have been there's been times uh, in this church where people have hold different views on different things. Right. And I, I've tried as much as humanly possible I give a lot of I give a lot of leeway, right? I'm I, I'm not one of those saying no, 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 no. In this church, you will believe this. I'm always like, you can believe what you want, but basically, what I say is, well, then don't don't argue, don't try to prove your point, and just understand this is the way I'm going to teach. But you can do what you want, right? Um, because and, and I yeah and I do say study. I always say study. I always say do the study before you argue. But I don't come forcing people to say you will believe this, right? I try to give that leeway. I try to give a little freedom, right? Now I may preach against it, but you have freedom. Okay? So, um because we've had we, but some people can handle that. Some people can't handle that, right? Well, so at some point the issue becomes What's the motivation of you not handling it? Right? Sarah's mom. Right? She didn't she had different views for me. She was uh, very much a preterist, very much a millennialist, right? Um, very much str- str- And she may sometimes come up to ask a question, but she was always humble. And and, and guess what? I let her be. I let her be, right? I didn't feel like I had to come in and correct her, right? Now, if I wanted to preach against it, I would preach against it, right? Because I am. But there was like a kind of a mutual respect there, right? There was a mutual respect. Um, And so I'm saying sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. So at some point, whenever you feel yourself getting angry, you have to ask yourself, what's my motivation? Because if the motivation is... I will change that person and they will believe what I believe. Then at some point, is it really about truth? Or is it about your own pride and arrogance, right? Look, I've been on both sides of this. I've been the pastor who may feel it, and I've been the person sitting in the pew probably being prideful and arrogant where I shouldn't have been. I've probably been on both sides of this. Does that make sense? Now, it's one thing if you're basically called into an office like I was with Calvinism and basically said, you will not believe that or you are, you know, you're gone. Well, okay, I wasn't given any leeway. I wasn't given any freedom, right? I was told and then I was going to be kicked out of everything. And then I wasn't going to be able to be ordained until I had to agree to a foolish statement that demonstrated they didn't even understand what they were condemning. It was so ridiculous. Okay, okay. That, when you're, when, you're, when, you're pushed, when you're pushed against the wall, then you're going to probably come out swinging, right? Now, at that point, though, you then have to stop and ask yourself, is it now about the truth or is it about what? Your own personal ego. I can't speak for women, but men can have strong egos. And when it becomes personal, guess what? Once, once it becomes personal, it becomes selfish, it becomes about arrogance and pride, I don't care how right your criticism is, you end up becoming wrong. Does that make sense? Right? Because because what what stopped becoming important in the subject? No matter how much we want to claim, truth is no longer the issue. What becomes the issue? No, just in in, life. It becomes self. Right. I think a critical spirit is where truth no longer matters. Self is what matters. And because uh, clearly in, in Miriam and Aaron, that come on, the, the, the wife, I mean, God knew that the wife wasn't the issue. He doesn't even bring it up, does he? The, he knew what the issue was. He knew what the, the issue was about them wanting to be in charge. It was them wanting their way. So whenever we criticize, what do we need to do? We need to we got to check our motives to see if those motives are one of pride, arrogance, and selfishness, or self centeredness. However you would like to word. I think we can all agree. And and guess what? You never know when it is. Like it's very hard to see that. What's the hardest thing to see ever? Is our motivation. It is so hard to see our motivation. All right. Secondly, make sure criticism is based on truth. Uh, Criticism based on hearsay is not helpful. It is gossip. Uninformed criticism will usually wind up embarrassing the critic when the truth is revealed. The self-righteous Pharisee criticized Jesus based on their own faulty standard. I'm not going to read that part. Let's just say we we got to make sure our criticism is based on truth. I'm going to to add something. I'm going to break part of what they just said up into a separate point really quick before we run out of time. All right, so number one, we got to make sure our criticism is not, we got to check the motive behind our criticism, make sure it's not being driven by pride, arrogance, and self-centeredness, right? Secondly, we got to make sure our criticism is at least based on truth. It's not, it's not how you feel. It's not what you think, what you heard. It's got to be based on something legitimate, something something correct, right? Something real. And you can't, you can't exaggerate it. You can't make it worse than what it was. That, you got to be very factual in what you are criticizing, right? Because it's amazing. When you don't like someone else, You'll take one thing and criticize it in this really massive way where if you like the person, your criticism will be very like, well, yeah, but it was only this, right? Isn't it amazing how the criticism can change based on one's perspective of a person, right? Okay, we see that in politics all the time. Trump can do something. he will be like, well, I mean, come on. If a Democrat does the same thing, I stand in the world, right? It's like, well, wait a minute, come on. The criticism has to be based on something real, right? And sometimes the criticism is when, uh, what's even worse, especially within Christianity, is sometimes they're criticizing that which they don't don't even understand, right? Like anyone who would tell me that I'm an antinomian, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my entire life, right? Like um, there's nobody who listens to me would think I'm an antinomian, nobody, like no way, okay? So that would not be a legitimate criticism. Does that make sense? Right. So it's got to be. It's got to be based on truth. Number three, uh, number and, and, and I think the truth. I think we can all agree on truth, right? We can all agree on truth. Number three. The criticism. How do we want to word this one? This criticism cannot be motivated. Well, let me see. I don't want to say this. Criticism cannot come from self-righteousness criticism cannot come from self-righteousness what i mean by this is when you before you criticize someone else you need to be criticizing yourself right because self-righteousness is self-righteousness is where you do what you, 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 you're like, I thank thee, God, that I'm not like all of these people. All self-righteousness is where you are so focused on your, that you are so right that then it makes you feel everyone else is inferior and everyone else is wrong. It cannot flow from a self-righteousness. It has to flow from, your, your criticism has to flow from a, a, a constant awareness of one's own flaws. Is that a correct way? Is that a better way of saying it? Like your criticism has to flow from your awareness of your own flow. Now, other people may not perceive that. And once again, this is a very self, this is only, a, only yourself can figure this out. Only yourself can know your motivation, right? Only yourself can know if you're really pursuing truth and really are making sure your criticism is accurate, Right? Only you know how much research you've done. If you've really spoken to the person, if you really talked to the person, if you really listened to the other person, or all you did was argue with the other person. Only only each person knows that. And number three, you know how aware you are of your own flaws and failures. Other people may not think you ever think you're wrong, but you ha- only you can know. So you've got to make sure, hey... Everyone else may think that this, but I am very, you know, know—you—you you, only you know how aware you are of your own flaws. So it cannot flow from self-righteousness. Does that make sense? And then we're out of time. But I'll just read the last paragraph here, right? I, I want to I add some more things about criticism, right? I want to add some more uh, things about criticism, but that gets us started. They add this. They say, beware of a critical spirit. Right? So in other words, hey, we're trying to find what a critical spirit is. So they're not really helpful. But this is what they say about a critical spirit. There is a significant difference between helping someone improve and having a critical spirit. A critical spirit is never pleased. A critical spirit expects and finds disappointment wherever it looks. It's the opposite of 1 Corinthians 13. A critical spirit arrogantly judges is easily provoked accounts for every wrong never carries any hope of being pleased such an attitude damages the critiqued as well as the critic so they say a critical spirit is a spirit that does not is not is opposite of 1 Corinthians 13 possibly I I think, I I think, oh, well, only you can figure that out. Only you can figure that out. But we can say, because, I mean, there's a lot there to try to unpack, right? I mean, we could go through 1 Corinthians 13 and say, a critical spirit is opposite of this, right? Go to 1 Corinthians 13 really quick, okay? Love is patient, all right? A critical spirit wouldn't be patient. Love is Kind, but see at the same time it's really hard because how kind is it to call a bunch of people a bunch of snakes? See that's see that that's what I'm trying to say. Like you didn't have to call people a fool. You don't have to call people. You, you, you see, like that's the problem, right? You don't have to call people that you're 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 a cup on the, you're a clean cup on the outside, but inside you're filled filled with trash. You're like a whitewashed tomb, but inside. But say, yeah, now does authority have the right to do that? See, that raises all kinds of questions, right? Does authority give you the right to then not be kind? So, see, that's where it comes back to that preach is good. Hey, guys, when you criticize, don't be like 1 Corinthians 13. And then be like, but the one who wrote 1 Corinthians 13 didn't act like 1 Corinthians 13 when he was calling everyone in the church a bunch of babies, that he could not give them solid food because all they could have is milk. Okay, I don't know. That's pretty condescending. Yes? Same, same people, if you think about 1 Corinthians. Yeah, I know. Same people. I know. And he says some pretty mean things to them, does he not? Yeah. He says some pretty mean things to them. So like, I... Like, I This this is sometimes Christianity. Christianity has a a a constant history of oversimplifying things to the point of not even being remotely accurate with the Bible. So I, I don't know. So let's go through the ones at least we came up with. We all so let's let's summarize. Everyone can agree criticism is biblical, yes. However. We do all believe that there is a line you can cross where that criticism becomes somehow wrong in some way, shape, or form. Can we at least agree that there's got uh, to be times when the criticism crosses the line? Yes? Okay. And so what we've said is that the first thing we have to do is ensure that our criticism is what? Okay. Well, our, our, I think I changed the way we worded it, is that it's not. Mo- we have to check the motivation of our criticism, that it is not motivated by pride, arrogance, and self-centeredness. Agreed? Check the motive. Check the motivation. Second, we got to base it on truth, not hearsay, not misunderstanding, not that you haven't taken the time to go, hey, 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 I'm really trying to understand your position and then accurately represent the position, right? Does that make sense? You got to accurately represent, and and I think and I think when you do that, if it's based on truth, you got to do due diligence as well, right? Right. Like if I'm going to criticize, if I'm going to criticize John Piper on his view of what's called final justification or second justification, which I think is completely, utterly, one thousand percent heretical and it's straight out of Catholicism, if I'm going to criticize that then it's my job to do what? Make sure I've studied everything about it so that my criticism is based on accuracy, right? If I'm going to criticize something, right, then I got to, like, that was my whole thing about trying to learn Catholicism. I got tired of Christians criticizing Catholicism and demonstrating in five seconds they had no idea what they're talking about. Sarah can testify when Protestants call into Christian radio, they they demonstrate in five seconds, they're criticizing something they have no understanding about. And in many cases, they criticize Catholics and walk around and have their own Catholic doctrine of salvation, which is far more about an infused righteousness than an imputed righteousness, and then yet say Catholics are going to hell. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Your job is to make sure you know what you're talking about. Does that make sense? It's your job to make sure you have some idea, right? And to be willing to constantly keep learning, right? So that it's based off truth. And number three? Yeah, it has to come from a place of, uh, not a place of self-righteousness, but one of, uh, as she said, self-awareness. Like aware of your own sin, your own flaws, your own. Look, the more you are, put it this way, I think we can agree. The more you are aware of your own failure, it probably will always make you more hesitant to condemn someone else's. Yes? Right? And that's one of the reasons I, I get so upset with lordship because lordship, you have to pretend to be more righteous than you are because you've got to pretend you're passing the test, which then leads to you start criticizing everyone else. Right? Trust me, I've been there. I've been there with lordship, right? Then you're like, well, why won't Christians read their Bible? Probably not saved. Why won't they listen to sermons? Probably not saved. Why won't they do their Bible study? Probably not saved, right? Because, I, uh, because I'm passing all of those tests. Now, of course, what do you start doing? Ignoring all the tests you're failing because you can't focus on the tests you're failing because if you focus on the tests you're failing, then you start questioning whether you're saved, so then you can't, but so guess what you do? It almost drives you to look at everyone else's failure so that you can feel even better about yourself. The whole thing is a system of utter broken self-righteousness that it's so pathetic that it's just, it's sad. But it's what, and, and I don't blame the people who find themselves trapped in it because what are you going to do? I gotta pass this test, <laughs> okay? The minute you think you pass the test, what are you gonna become aware of? Everyone else not passing the test. So you're going to be like, I don't know why other people don't care about the things of God. I don't know why other people don't want to talk about scripture. And you're just going to start going around pointing out everyone else's failure. Oh, okay. That's, that's a problem. All right. There you go. I think the main thing, Miriam and Aaron, they were not upset about his life. And we got to always make sure sometimes what we are criticizing may not even be what we're really criticizing. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Forgive us of wrong criticism. Help us always balance it out with the right kind of criticism. Forgive us where we have failed. Let us continue to think and meditate on your word so that we can understand how to handle ourselves better in this very important area. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,